Baseball is back. Well, it's almost back. It'll be back soon enough. And there's a really cool way to enjoy this baseball season. How about having the barrel of a baseball bat turned into a 12-ounce mug? Well, there's a company that started in a college baseball dugout called Dugout Mugs. Good name, right? And a good product. Uh, Baseball bats turned into a drinking mug. They are licensed by Major League Baseball. Your favorite team lasered engraved onto a birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. It's the perfect thing to enjoy the the big game or just to put on display. Uh, It's just a really fun way to enjoy baseball again. And it's a unique gift for a baseball fan if you've got a gift-giving occasion coming up. So just go to dugoutmugs.com slash The Athletic and use the promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash The Athletic and use the code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. Will the Tigers be miserly about calling up prospects to pitch? And did the money flow in the first weekend of FAB? Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not it. had the three co-crews yet. It worked great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, July 20th. I'm Al Melkier here, and Derek Van Riper is here as well. And you know what it is? It's the first week of the season. Hasn't started yet, of course, but uh, we are inching ever closer. And uh, busy, busy weekend uh, as a final weekend before opening day. Uh, Franchi Cordero is uh, no longer a friar. Uh, Yasiel Puig will not be playing for Atlanta. The Blue Jays, um, after all, are not going to play in Toronto because they didn't get approval from the uh, the national government. Uh, so we've got some other uh, home venues in play. Buffalo, Dunedin, perhaps Charlotte. The Nationals will play at Nationals Park. So uh, DVR, that, that national situation uh, seems to be settled now. But um, that'd be really interesting if the Blue Jays wound up playing in Charlotte, which is one of the best hitters parks in all of baseball. Yeah, that'd be a sneaky boost for the offense. I do wonder how much a, a team not really playing true home games would impact production. We saw something like that a couple of years ago. The Rockies AA affiliate was moving into a new stadium in Hartford, Connecticut, and there were construction delays that caused them to play all of their games on the road that season. And there were some pretty ugly lines. I think I recall Ryan McMahon having a pretty bad year uh, in that season and it's just an impossible thing to measure. But if it's an extremely hitter-friendly environment, a much more hitter-friendly environment than their usual park at Rogers Center even, that is probably a bigger lift than having to play away, especially since it's not like they'd play all their games on the road. They would sort of get used to Charlotte being home in this weird, strange season. So uh, definitely interesting to see that on the list. Probably of those three options, easily the best place they could land. And you know, Buffalo being a little closer to home, maybe their first choice. And Dunedin being in Florida, probably the last choice and only on the list because it's the spring training home. Yeah. And, you know, the it doesn't seem like Buffalo is likely from what I've been reading. And, you know, maybe it's it's just speculation, but it appears the park is not really up to major league standards. Dunedin, of course, right in the middle of a big uh, COVID hotspot. So maybe by default, it's Charlotte. I'd seen Durham mentioned, um, Nashville also. So, you know, these are just a few 
locations that have been uh, thrown out there. But this will obviously develop very quickly because uh, the Blue Jays need to, you know, be playing home games pretty soon. Uh, we also we talked about the Nationals briefly. Another Nationals development, a very welcome one. And I thought of you, DVR, uh, Victor Robles back with the team in camp this weekend. So uh, I know you've been been big on Victor Robles for 2020. So uh, you have to be encouraged by that. Yeah, I'm happy he's got a chance to play opening day. It's funny, as much as I talk about him, I don't have him as many places as you'd think. So I'm going to have to do something early this week, get him in a league or two before opening day, uh, maybe order a rookie card or something on eBay, just kind of push more chips in on Victor Robles. It's going to happen, Al. Victor Robles is going to be a star. Yeah, well, it could happen this year. So, uh, and uh, may you know may have a chance to be ready uh, much sooner than perhaps we expected. Uh, Colin McHugh has decided to opt out of the season, so he was um, a free agent acquisition for the Red Sox and uh, not going to pitch for them this year. He wasn't slated for the rotation anyway, but it's a pretty thin bullpen and obviously a thin rotation. So, does that make you perhaps even less likely to roster? some of the starters given that that's that's one less relief arm that's going to be available yeah i guess that's one way to look at it i just think this is one of the worst rotations in the league i mean it's it's amazingly bad and usually when a team has this much turnover you see someone that gets you kind of excited you say oh i I like this guy who's getting a chance to start for the first time he's never had a chance to do that and i can't say a nice thing about anybody listed on the depth chart beyond the top two options in Boston's rotation. Yeah. So I guess there's maybe not that much room to, to downgrade there. Um, Jordan Zimmerman, speaking of uh, pitchers that may not pitch for their, their teams this season, he's been placed on the 45 day injured list with a forearm strain. So he may have already thrown his last pitch as a Detroit tiger. And of course he was you know, much anticipated years back as a free agent acquisition. And uh, it just hasn't panned out for him with Detroit, but the, the collateral impact here is that the tigers will need to replace Zimmerman in the rotation. And there were a couple of pieces, including one from the athletics, Cody Stavenhagen that uh, talked about Casey Mize and the increased possibility that he'll spend a significant portion of the 2020 season in the rotation, probably not for opening day, but maybe very soon thereafter. Yeah, I've had a really difficult time getting a read on the Tigers with Mize and Matt Manning, Tarek Skubal, Alex Faito. A couple of those guys were missing time in camp, uh, so that made it even more complicated. I think Daniel Norris is kind of bouncing around as a possible back-end option there, too. I think once the Tigers start pushing up those young starters, they're going to keep them in the rotation indefinitely they're not going to mess around with innings in a shortened season and i've just wondered all along if it made more sense to burn a year of service time even though they're rebuilding to get those guys 50 or 60 innings against big league hitters as opposed to only having them work at the complex especially since there's so much uncertainty about the viability of fall fall league baseball uh, in arizona and they've mentioned florida as like a second alternative site too uh, but yeah, I haven't drafted any of the Tigers' young starters just because I've erred on the side of caution that they would not bring them up and just be as frugal as possible. So this is some potential good news. If Mize comes up, why wouldn't Manning or Scooble, at least one more of those guys, also join him? Yeah, there's certainly uh, an opportunity, not a not a big um, a big roadblock to them. Uh, you know, I was reading that. 
Uh, really, they've got three spots nailed down uh, at this point. Of course, Matt Boyd at the uh, the top of the rotation with um, Ivan Nova and um, uh, Spencer Turnbull. Had a little trouble thinking of the third pitcher there. Spencer Turnbull uh, having his spot cemented. But uh, Daniel Norris, it's not clear if he's going to be available. If he is, I think he'd be in there. But, uh, you know, who knows? Yeah, maybe both of those fourth and fifth spots will be available. And uh, there's certainly no shortage of uh, you know prospects that could fill that. But Mize was the one that got mentioned in Cody's piece. And also there was a piece on MLB.com. So just solely on the basis of, the, basis of that, we're going to talk about fab in a little bit. We had the first weekend fab run of 2020. And I went and, and inserted Mize into my uh, as a contingent bid for Fab. Didn't get him because I got the the pitcher I actually wanted even more. And so, like I said, we'll talk about that in a bit. But you know, I I put uh, I think it was a seven dollar contingent bid on on Mize. So does that seem in the ballpark for you, DVR? You think that was maybe too aggressive? No, nah, it seems pretty fair. I mean, I think if you're going to take that chance, the question is, how long do you wait? Do you go? Maybe up through the second week of the season. I mean, at a minimum, you got to go through the first full week because service time, uh, just for an extra year to to ensure that you got to wait. I think six days is the cutoff this year. So the beginning of the second week is the earliest we'll start to see young players getting that opportunity. Maybe you got to wait one more week beyond that just to make sure you kind of see it through. I think as a low cost addition, if you have flexibility in your bench if you have enough viable arms enough viable bats to swap in as needed it's okay to stash someone like mize i just think you got to be careful not to have too many players like that in a redraft league this year yeah and no, i agree uh i think he and, and nate pearson though for me would be the the prospects to prioritize for pitching uh so i i felt pretty good about that and we'll talk a little bit more about fab uh for this weekend but before we do a couple of closer situations that may be opening up Roberto Ozuna, who was late to camp, may not be ready for opening day. And the Pirates placed uh, Keone Kayla on the 10-day injured list. Uh, not a disclosed reason as of uh, this recording. But, you know, these these sound like situations where Ozuna and Kayla could fill that closures role at some point, but not necessarily for opening day. So do you think that these are situations where it's worth speculating? First of all, because there's somebody that is an attractive closer candidate, but also because you think they'll actually get enough play in that role. Yeah. I thought that was the hardest thing about picking up relievers this weekend was that so many of those situations were still up in the air for reasons that were completely out of everybody's control. Uh, I think that's what makes the Houston situation a little bit unique in that Ryan Presley is probably good enough to be rostered in a lot of mixed leagues, even when Ozuna's healthy we don't really know the full extent of what's going on with Ozuna. So there is that possibility that this is a longer-term opportunity, even though it seems like a pretty low probability. Um, so Presley was pretty high on my list. I think in the Pirates situation, Nick Birdie was the guy that I wanted to bid on, but I wasn't going that much above a min bid to get him because it could be Kyle Crick, it could be Michael Feliz, uh, Kella could be back in a week and just be the guy again right away. Like I just didn't have a good feel for the Pirates locking in on one obvious sort of replacement, even though Nick Birdie, based on prospect pedigree and just how hard he throws, makes sense as a high-leverage reliever. It's just kind of a wide-open battle for those opportunities. 
Yeah, it really is. And I think really uh, for both teams and the fact that you could have those incumbent closers back soon anyway, I pretty much stayed clear other than I made a uh, a nominal bid on Kyle Crick in um, my one league that ran fab on Sunday and didn't get him because I, again, I got the, the closer who, uh, or at least closer candidate who uh, was my top bid. Who doesn't love a clean shaven man? Hey, producer Cam here, and yes, this does sound like an ass scene on TV ad, but I'll tell you what, Manscaped's results are proven. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game to the max. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Not 1.0, not 2.0, but 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, waterproof, yes, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is, I will say, the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. This third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. And guess what? Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver. Ooh, an anti-chafing undercarriage deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be subscribe to the perfect package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code listen up the athletic 20 again that's the athletic 20 at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code the athletic 20 and for a limited time subscribers get not one but two free gifts the shed travel bag a 39 dollars value and the patented high performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer brief so go to manscaped.com today and use the code the athletic 20 back to the show dvr so you had fab run on sunday in tgfbi uh, i had it run for uh the arizona uh arizona uh First pitch, I think you were in one of those leagues as well, weren't you? Yeah, I was in one of those leagues. So, hmm. but I think it was best ball, right? The one I was in, I think, is draft champions. Yeah, so there's no pickups. So we have a 50 man roster. Okay, so yeah, mine standard roto. So that was the one fab I had that ran. So uh, tell me about what you saw in uh, TGFBI. My league had already, uh, had someone already rostered Jonas Cespedes in that league. So he wasn't out there, but Aaron Hicks was the most expensive player. He went for three seventeen. Uh, Runner-up bid was me at, at two fifty-seven. So I was sort of in the neighborhood, but didn't come away with Aaron Hicks. Uh, Zach Britton actually went for two seventy-three. Runner-up bid of seventy-four. I think that's a little bit like the Houston situation. We know with with Chapman uh, away from the team right now. It could be a week, possibly two, maybe even a little longer before he's ready to come back. But when he does come back, Chapman's the closer. And I think that's why I had a difficult time putting in a three-digit bid uh, with a $1,000 budget for a guy like Britton. Uh, Rich Hill was actually a player I won in that particular league at 257. I had to go a little bit higher than my recommended bid range from the ads and drops column. I, I said 15 to 20% was probably the target range. That was a league, Al, where... I drafted Chris Sale, Michael Kopech, David Price, and Joe Ross. So I had four easy pitching drops. And I think because I was dropping four pitchers, that kind of led me to push those extra $57 in the direction of Rich Hill. Because frankly, I mean, replacing any one of those guys can be tough at the top. Price and, and Sale, of course. 
replacing the depth as well. I just I didn't want to chase multiple streamers all season. I think Rich Hill can be a top 20 type starter on a per start basis. There's plenty of risk. I mean, the elbow revision surgery he had is a significant surgery. But to me, it was a risk worth taking, especially in this situation. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and you always have to be happy when you just squeak out the top bid. Uh, so that's very cool that you had that happen. Uh, in the uh, first pitch Arizona league where I ran fab, I, I won three players and wound up spending already slightly more than a third of my budget. But I, you know, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I just decided to go for it in the first week. And one of the players that I got was Ryan Helsley uh, at $16. And a lot of the players, in fact, maybe a majority of the players that went, um, went in the 15 to $20 range. CJ Crone was the most expensive player, which is not necessarily the one I would have predicted uh, at an even $20. But I got Helsley at 16. I didn't even bet on Brit- uh, bid on Britain for exactly the reason, DVR, that you cited. Um, I did not get Isaiah, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, um, who was one of the most expensive players to go. And uh, let's see, I got Adrian Hauser for 15 and Starlin Castro, one of my favorite uh, value guys for 2020. I got him for $5. So I was was pretty happy. That's a nice group. That's a really nice group of players for pretty reasonable prices. And I actually was surprised. I thought people were going to spend more aggressively. The expensive players were more expensive than usual because they're legitimately really good players who would have been drafted if they were healthy. I just thought we'd see more second tier spending and even some of the the players in the $50 range in the TGFBI league that I'm in they had single digit runner up bids or were uncontested i i just i didn't see it playing out that way so i don't know if people are just a little bit unsure i i certainly didn't have a lot of confidence going into this weekend normally i feel pretty good about the players i'm going after and what i'm going to bid this this time i kind of felt like i was going in blind and uh, well, at least it turned out in the case of Rich Hill. At least I sort of guessed right this time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's what that's what we're all doing. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in in weeks two and three. Uh, you know, especially if like in in my league here, where you know people kind of went for broke, spending you know fifteen to twenty per player. Uh, so. But yeah, this it's a lot of guesswork for this first week. So, uh, but we got a lot of exciting stuff coming up this week. We'll have opening day, uh, a lot of roster moves. Uh, I'm sure that'll be made and uh, position battles that'll be sorted out. So, uh, looking forward to this week. Uh, we'll just wind this one up as we usually do with the featured read. Great one here from Owen Poindexter on the Athletic. The hitters who have the most to lose if the ball is dejuiced. It's a topic that I feel like maybe hasn't been given as much um, much discussion as maybe it merits, but it's also just maybe because it's it's a big question mark. But uh, Owen does a great job in dealing with that uncertainty in this piece. So definitely check that out. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker, and we'll be right back here on Tuesday. <laughs>